Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hey guys, welcome to CarCast. This week we're going we're gonna to have our friend Alistair Weaver from Edmonds stop in. We're going to talk about Bronco versus Defender, a little bit about uh, Ford Maverick, Toyota Tundra, and quite a bit more. Uh, before we get started, a word from our friends at Rock Auto. RockAuto.com. Why spend 30 to 50%, even 100% more for the same parts that a chain store or dealership might have? Why spend so much there? Why not go to RockAuto.com? It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, everything from Engine control modules to brakes to motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few clicks delivered direct to your door. Go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or your truck, write CarCast in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you an amazing selection Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea. We're here this week with our friend Alistair Weaver from Edmonds. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, we got a little bit of rain, just a little bit of rain out here in uh, in LA. I think I think we need a massive amount of rain because of some shortage and whatever. Our our lake is empty. We have no water. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it's okay. I don't mind it. It's, it looks okay. I don't know if you're you, you got to hit the track, so maybe you mind it. But uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it'll burn off by then. It's California rain, isn't it? It'll be gone yeah. by 10 a.m. Yeah. And by the way, all the way here was like barely sprinkling, like just enough to like put your windshield wipers on to uh, every 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's barely doing anything. But, you know, it's nice. Get a little... But nobody could drive. Everybody yeah. forgot how to drive instantly. Yeah. Listen, when it rains, it's fine because I just assume most people are like, oh, it's raining. I can't go anywhere. And then the, the roads open up a little bit more. Uh Eh, I guess we'll see. So uh, thanks for joining us. Our buddy Goldberg is off to Dubai wrestling with WWE. He's going to lay the old smackdown on Bobby Lashley. The revenge match. Goldberg going after Lashley for uh, for picking on his son, Gage. So we'll see how that goes. I have some thoughts on how I think it'll go. Yeah, I, I, can, I can hypothesize. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a, like a good guess on how I think that's going to go down. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be very entertaining to, to watch. And it was weird because, look, it's, it's no secret. Bill's, Bill's contract has him in the ring a couple times a year. But it uh, does give him a little flexibility to you know, call an audible. And you know, he was – basically done for the year he's had some stuff for next year and he's like you know i I think this will be fun you know we've got this rivalry with lashley i got my son involved and he's having some fun and let's let's go down this path a little bit and uh let's just step it up let's go to let's do the match in dubai and you know everyone's like yeah we like it let's have some fun you know listen i couldn't imagine what would be more fun than you know 15 year old kid high school you know star baseball player, football player, and, you know, listen, come come homecoming or, or, or prom or whatever, and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm the kid that's on WWE in front of millions of people wrestling in the ring, <laughs> you know? So I was just thinking about, I was just thinking that, Matt, that can't be, um, that can't be too much of a hindrance. I was just comparing myself at 16. It was like, <laughs> I, I think I barely talked to a girl. Yeah, right? So I think, uh, I, I think being the star athlete and being in two huge WWE pay-per-view events, not to mention a few others, I think, uh, uh, is, is going to win the popularity contest for sure. But, uh, he's a good kid. He's a humble kid. So. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. I know you guys got a lot of things going on. Um, certainly a lot of talk about, uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe the Tesla chatter has died off a little bit. People are, uh, uh starting to cut you a break. Yeah. It's been extraordinary, Matt. Maybe uh, not. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I mean, it suddenly resurfaces. I had somebody break into my, um, just to, just to give people the background. I, 
I did a piece a month ago now on the Tesla Model S Plaid. And as part of that test, it was a full sort of instrumented test, really deep dive. But as part of it, we have a little area of our test track, which is a really low grip surface. And it was the perfect opportunity to demonstrate the yoke steering wheel, which if people aren't familiar with it, is, is like a, an aeroplane steering wheel. So you have basically the top of the bottom of the steering wheel missing. It's what you have in Formula One cars, but Formula One cars only ever do a quarter turn of lock. And it just demonstrated how bad this is and how fundamentally appalling idea the whole the whole yoke is. And it's the only wheel you can actually get on the plat. And everything just went nuts for us. We we published it on Twitter. Over two million people have have seen it on Twitter. And I just started getting this 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 sort of I don't think abuse is too strong a word for it. Uh, uh, for you know everything that was wrong with me, how I was a failed journalist and how I was bought by big oil. Big oil. <laughs> it's like, what's big oil? I don't think I've ever been paid by an oil company in my life. But um <laughs> it's and then it and then it went on and on. And yeah, I've even had people. I mean, this was mainly on Twitter for me. Yeah. But then, because my Twitter handle is Alistair Weaver, on, not on Instagram, and Weaver on cars. But somebody found me on Instagram, and just the other day, I ra- I woke up to, "You're an absolute disgrace. You're the worst journalist in the world." It's like Saturday morning. Who does this stuff? <laughs> so I wrote a piece on Inst- on uh, LinkedIn, uh, which you know, as you'd expect, I'm connected with a lot of people from the auto industry, including a lot of people in the EV space. And that went crazy as well. Another sort of 15,000 people viewed it there. I got commentary from everywhere. You could see that BMW in Munich was reading it. Mercedes in Stuttgart, because I have one of these premium, sure. whatever it's yeah, called, yeah. things that allows you to see see who's who's reading what. And it's it's just been incredible. I mean, I'm clearly no celebrity. And I know Bill gets a lot of this, you know, from his from his his profession. But with Bill, it's kind of pantomime villain stuff. What was starting yeah. to concern me about this is this is really vitriolic. Yeah, uh, and really, uh, and it's just—it's a real insight into how bad this can get. And on YouTube, we had we had a drag race against a superbike that's done one point two million views or something. And then I did the test, and the Tesla fanboys, fangirls as well, presumably, organized themselves so that they came into the the, and we can see all this because we have the metrics. They came into our YouTube channel. They gave the video a thumbs down within the first five seconds, so we didn't get a view. And the idea of this is that it actually affects YouTube's algorithm. So if a video is massively popular, it activates the algorithm and YouTube keeps presenting it to you in your sort of recommended and that kind of thing. And if it gets a lot of dislikes, then it affects the algorithm the other way. They don't suggest it as much. And over 7,000 people took part in this campaign to to vote the video down without even watching it. I mean, yeah. It's 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 gone be you know, it started to reach a level which is beyond almost comprehension of you know, it's a product, it's a car. You didn't design it, you didn't engineer it, you just bought it or aspired to it. I mean, you know, I know like people love Porsches and Ferraris and everything else, but this is this is a wholly different level. Right. I've well, I finished now, Matt. Sorry, yeah, that was a bit it, of a rant. Now, I I the interesting part is is yeah, like who who kind of takes the time to coordinate this stuff? Maybe they just all think it's funny and they're like, oh, let's just get together and do this because we can and just to kind of flex our muscles as, as you know, again, just showing how a group of people can come together if it's organized and create some sort of result, some sort of reaction. Uh, I don't know. So maybe it was just kind of fun for them or something. I don't really know. But here's the thing is – you haven't done anything in the videos content wise to 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 kind of trigger everybody. I don't get I don't get why everyone is so fired up about it. Like, you know, you drove the car, you said it was incredibly fast, the fastest thing out there and it handles well and and whatever, and you just pointed out a few facts. Like you were like, Yeah, some of the trim on this car was falling off or or whatever and and not a fan of the yoke steering wheel. Right. And uh, and I mean, in your video, you I don't know. I don't think you leaned into it more than usual. I think a lot of people agree. Yeah, that, I, I, that, I, I that think the yoke is is subpar to the steering wheel. Right. The steering wheel makes more sense. But then in the video, you basically just showed why you're like, this is what we're doing and hand over hand. And it's tough to get a grip. And I'm hitting all the buttons and. And okay, so I just don't 
it wasn't like you went on like a seven minute rant about like this is why I hate Tesla and I hate the people and I hate the cars and I hate the blah 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 and I hate the fans. Like it wasn't that type of thing. You drive a Tesla, you own a Tesla. That which always blows my mind that nobody seems to care about that aspect of it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Edmunds top rated EV for the last two years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, hilarious. Some of this stuff, it, it really is. And also, I suspect I don't know because I haven't. I, uh, I haven't spoken to many of them, but I suspect there's an awful lot of people within Tesla who hate the yoke as well. I would absolutely agree. I, I look anything of of that scale, anything of that scale, the size of car companies, the size of the, the of uh, of the fans. Like, not everything is going to be great. We drive cars all the time, cars that we love, brands that we love, and we're constantly finding flaws with with so many things. And it's like, are they livable f- flaws? You know, I, I told a story a while ago about, uh, I, I know a guy, he's a super Porsche fanatic, uh, raced Porsches, uh, owns a bunch of them and owns just the wildest ones. Like the, not the, you know, it, he's got, for lack of a better term, the cookie cutter, you know, everyday Porsche, but just everything GT in front of the name, just all the wildest ones, the, uh, you know, but went to go buy the the Taycan, drove it for like six months, and finally just said, "I just can't do it anymore." It's like as much as I want to get behind this, the ergonomics don't work for me. I don't like it. It's too quirky. It needs a few more years, and gave it back or sold it or whatever. Just couldn't couldn't do it after like six months, and said, "I just gonna have to wait, or maybe I'll give the Audi a try," but. uh you know, this was somebody that was absolutely loves that car and loves the brand and everything he owns is the Porsche brand. Not to mention a huge, you know, when I say everything he owns, I don't mean the two cars he owns. I mean like the 14 cars he owns, <laughs> you know, or something. And then he's just like, yeah, the Taycan just couldn't do it. So look, for, for him, it didn't work, right? So in the Tesla, the yoke for you didn't work. And... uh Boy, did that get people's attention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, I think it objectively, quantifiably, empirically didn't work. So. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's the other part. That Maybe that's the part they hate the most. Maybe they hate the, I don't know, yeah, sort of the matter-of-fact way you described it. You know, say, this does not work. It's uh Yes, it's one thing being told you wrong, another thing being proved you wrong, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of videos uh, countering yours coming out like that I'm aware of. That's like, look, we did the same thing you did, and it works fine. I don't. Yeah. I haven't seen that video, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> right. Um all right, so let's get into some more stuff. We'll get off of Tesla now. Let me tell you guys about Trico. Over a century ago, Trico was the first to make wiper blades, which I'm using today. They've been a step ahead of the, of Mother Nature ever since. Trico engineers study your specific driving conditions to make sure you're ready for anything, even if it rains actual cats and dogs. Not quite yet today, but maybe. We'll see how the day progresses. Well, whatever the weather, Trico wipers maintain maximum windshield contact. And no matter what your driving habits, you'll always find the right wiper blade for your vehicle. So go to Trico. It's Trico. It's the future of wipers since 1917. To find a store near you and to see the latest offers, go to TricoCatsAndDogs.com. T-R-I-C-O. CatsAndDogs.com. It's the best URL we've had on this show. <laughs> uh Bronco stuff. I mean, we're getting so much Bronco news, and now that the cars are coming out there, first of all, Bronco is similar to Tesla. People are so excited about it. Uh, You know, it's going to be the game changer, and it's going to blow Jeep out of the water, and it's affordable, and there's so many options, and it's modular. Certainly, the way it's been presented uh, is no no choice but to be just a fan favorite among, you know, off-roaders and journalists. Uh, but now that you guys are getting some time with a Bronco and you did a Bronco versus Defender test, I would imagine there are some flaws. Uh haven't gotten into it too much, but tell us a little bit about Bronco now that you've been into it. 
what do you like or dislike about Bronco? And then we can get into a little bit of the uh, the fun Bronco versus uh, Defender test that you guys were doing. Sure. I, I mean, this was a this was a two door uh, that we had. Mm-hmm. It's good looking. A, it's sharp. It's, it's cool. a really good looking car. We had a. It's a half hour turned into a half hour epic that we went live on our YouTube channel last Friday, which was comparing the two. This is the two door, but we have a four door on order, which I think we talked about this on the last yeah. show. It was due to arrive last December. Hopefully we'll arrive this December, but still haven't got it. This is the <laughs> this is the first edition, which is now I mean imagine this was a book. We're now onto the like the sixth reprint and we still haven't got the first edition. Um but yeah, it was actually the first time away from like a press event. Somebody had a car and properly taken it both, took it to the track, took it on, uh, took it off road, obviously drove it on the road as well. And it's a good thing. I mean, it really is. I think so much first and attention, everybody wanted it to succeed because it looked cool and it was, you know, a great rival to the Wrangler, which has sort of had the world to itself for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think Ford's done a, Ford's done a really solid job of, of A, putting together a very competent vehicle but be injecting it with the right amount of fun and quirkiness and, you know, sense of excitement. I mean, at heart, it is a, it is a Wrangler. I mean, it's a straight Wrangler rival and it's a sort of better, it's a better Wrangler. Uh, and I think the best, the most obvious way in which it's better is on road. If I don't know when you last time you drove a Wrangler, but you know, it's still, it's not as painful as it once was, but it's still not a great on-road experience. You know, the steering steam wanders a little bit and things like that. You have to, particularly on the highway, it can get quite tiring. The Bronco is is much, much better in that regard. Uh, the steering's a lot better. I mean, this is a car that you could take, you know, you could happily take on a long distance drive, but it retains that kind of utilitarian chic, if you like, that sort of fairly basic feel that, that the Wrangler also p- possesses. So the, the doors come off, the depending on which roof you have, they come off, that comes off as well. And, you know, it's still quite, you know, it's still a little bit rough and ready inside. You know, you can see the joints, you can see how things have been bolted together. And, you know, we can talk about the Defender in a minute, but it's it's not trying to be an SUV. It's very self-consciously an off-road focused Jeep mm-hmm. with a small J. And you said you drove the Tudor, but which which model, which trim model did you did you drive? Which engine did it have? So this was uh, this had the bigger engine, um, and this was the most road focused. So this was an outer banks, which means that you don't get uh, you don't get all the off road toys, and you get things like painted wheel arches, which is about as posh as the uh, as as the Bronco gets. Mm-hmm. But um, and also the, our car had uh, uh, what do you call them side rails, which are the most stupid thing in the world if you're going serious off roading. Yeah, um, I'm having a brain fade. You know the things that you step on as you get into a car. It is side rails, isn't it? No, the uh, like running Five boards, steps. like uh, running yeah. boards. Sorry, yeah, I yeah, just, running boards. Like, yeah, this like is the problem with recording yeah. at nine a.m. on a Monday morning. My brain <laughs> yeah. hasn't kicked in. Um, yeah, okay. And, and and so so we were actually on a both the Defender and the the Bronco were both reasonably road focused, and we wanted to do that partly what was available, but also. We wanted to give people a sense of, you know, what are people going to buy? And a lot of people are going to use these predominantly on the road and then occasionally go off-road in them. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a thing. There's also one one feature that's really cool called uh, Trail Turn Assist. Yeah. And what this basically does, it's like a old-fashioned, it allows you to do like an old-fashioned handbrake turn effectively, okay. or e-brake or whatever you call it. Yeah. It's, um, it basically locks or, or it applies the brakes to the, the rear tire on the inside. So if you're turning, if you're turning right, it will break the the rear right wheel. If you imagine that, yeah, right. And and it does that to basically pivot the car around that wheel. So it's almost like grabbing a handbrake. So that so as you as you turn in, the wheel will the, that tire will lock, and it allows it to to sort of do a little a little U turn. And particularly when you're off-road on a low surface, it makes a massive difference to your to your turning circle. It will work on the tarmac, but obviously you're going to flat spot your tires pretty quickly. So yeah, right. Um, yeah, you'd be dragging you it along. for Michelin or something. Yeah, <laughs> but so, it's a really cool feature that actually works. And how do you activate it? It's just a button on the dash, so you can't have you can't have the rear diff locked and then use that function. So, but you can. It'll work in low ratio and high ratio, and you just hit a button. And then you just drive along and you could do donuts off road with it because it just keeps it. It somehow keeps locking the inside tire and you just go around and around doing little donuts. It's, <laughs> we actually did it in the, in the video. It's, it's awesome fun. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, well, first of all, 
I want to go back to, is it an everyday driver? Is it the replacement? I mean, on some level, for a lot of people, Jeep is, but, you know, every morning I, I, you know, when I get up and I head out here to the studio, I, I, there's no way you don't see a Jeep on the road. Of course, you just see a Jeep on the road. But I do start to think at like I see a lot of the two doors, a lot of the four doors, and I see it sort of with the, with the, you know, the doors on and the windows up, but sort of a soft top, you know, thing going on on the top, uh, you know, and maybe the back is open and it just looks like sort of a tarp on it, which is what I saw this morning, and I started to think. It's cool. I like the Jeep. I like that aspect of it. But the reality is, is every time I'm coming here, like I'm making phone calls and trying to get some work done on the way, you know, through through CarPlay or something. And I just don't know how feasible having no roof on there all the time, how loud it is or, or the big tires. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, that's an option. You can get street or quieter versions for it. But you know, when you get into a Bronco, um, you know, you said, you know, you see sort of some of the mechanical bits, the fasteners and stuff. But, uh, you know, can you can you get the thing with with the hard top and have it be quiet or is the hard top just a, a piece of plastic? Like, is it livable as an everyday? If it starts to rain, is it going to sound like you're, you know, <laughs> like it's about to bust through the ceiling of the vehicle? I don't know. Yeah, like you're living in a tent. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to be fair to the Wrangler, because we also have a we have a Wrangler on our fleet, which is now used as like a filming support vehicle when we go off road, and that's got seventy five thousand miles on it, and that's got a removable hard top, so that's got like the target top on it, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually pretty good. I mean, it, we you know we can kind of overstate. So it, it all depends how you. I mean, that that is a Rubicon on big tires, but it's got the hard top, and I think a lot of these things on how you spec them. Um, but the Defender, sorry, the and the way I would the way I would probably best describe it is when you think about the original Defender and how hardcore that was and thousand how thousands of miles in those and everyone was painful. And in many ways the new Bronco is a modern interpretation of the original Defender. Mm-hmm. So it's like the if you draw a straight line from Defender to to arrive at Bronco, not at New Defender. But that means that actually it's got all the you know the fancy screens. It's got a massive touch screen, a car play, and everything else. As does a Wrangler, incidentally. But you know, so it works as a vehicle. And I think yes, you could absolutely make those calls in it. But then when you jump into the the new Defender, it is a different vehicle. It's still amazing off road, genuinely extraordinary. But it's much more towards an SUV. Yeah. So. You know that you you can't take the doors off. You you know the the roof has a the hours had like a fabric sunroof. You can't get a removable roof at the moment and things like that. I think Land Rover knows its audience, uh, so it is much more of a SUV that's incredible off road. Right. Okay. Whereas the Bronco is like a proper fun. But I I mean honestly I was I I thinking to myself the same question. We are about to buy one to live with it for a year. So ask me in six months. But I did actually think I would have one of these. Maybe not if I was going road tripping every weekend or had a massive commute. But if I was just like knocking around home or, or that sort of thing, as let's face it, we all we all do these days. Yeah. Then um, then yeah, I would live one with one. Okay, so tell us about the uh, the Bronco versus Defender matchup. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I think it's a great matchup because you know when Defender came out, I thought it was good. I drove it. It was it was fun. You know, for like what you're saying, you get a little bit of the luxury from the Land Rover brand. Uh, and you get the incredible off-road capabilities. But, yeah, you, you still kind of feel like around town you you get to drive a luxury SUV. Now, granted, the Defender, certainly the one that I drove, a lot of plastic bits, a lot of easy-to-wipe-down, easy-to-clean kind of off-roady bits on the interior, certainly not just covered and covered in leather like, you know, like a, like a Range Rover, or, you know. Uh, so it is a bit different. But, yeah, I heard a lot of – the Bronco is what the Defender should have been, and the Defender kind of went a little upscale, which is fine. I kind of feel like you're right, and you know, Ford knows the Bronco audience at this point, and Land Rover knows the Defender audience at this point. Um, but how'd you guys? How'd you guys pair them up? How'd you guys do? Well, it's interesting. The, the Defender is a few thousand more sort of model for model than the equivalent Bronco. 
um, and you just sort of have to accept that. But it does feel more expensive. You know, you get inside and a lot of the, the, the material choices are better. You know, it's incredibly heavy. It's 500 pounds more heavier than the, the Bronco. The Defender is an absolute lump. Um, but, you know, you feel, you feel that in the way it's... Uh, I think there's always a difference between perception of quality and actual build quality. So I think it'd be wrong to say that the build quality of the Land Rover is better than the Bronco, but the material choice, um, the material choice definitely is. It feels like a luxury good, whereas the Bronco is quite utilitarian. Yeah. Okay. And that, te- and also the Bronco, to my opinion, at least, I know these things are subjective, but the the Defender also looks a bit soft. I said in the film that if you're in like Birmingham, the UK, which is where Land Rover's headquartered or Coventry near up the road. You know, if you're in Birmingham, UK, this thing looks quite hardcore. If you're in Birmingham, Alabama, it doesn't. It doesn't, right. Uh, and you park it next to the Bronco and it does look a bit soft. And that, especially if ours was like green and white you know, yeah, yeah. with 20-inch rims. So, again, spec's important. But if you if you actually get the Defender into the rough stuff, it's amazing. Yeah. And both these vehicles are superbly competent in uh, off-road, even in the specs we had them. So the Defender can absolutely do its thing. It -hmm. just doesn't necessarily look like it. And I'm a little bit disappointed that they haven't done a version, and who knows, maybe they'll come out with it yet, which was a little bit more back to basics. You know, this is is still a pretty sophisticated piece of kit built for Land Rover customers as opposed to an attempt to steal sales from from Jeep or or now Ford. Yeah, yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't they actually doing the opposite? They're taking a Defender and doing like a hotter, sportier, like 400 horsepower version. They're doing a. They've got a V8 with 550. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm driven it. Yeah, but I'm quite <laughs> excited about it. Yeah. But then that will have like you know 40 inch rims and will only ever go <laughs> on road. Um, there's also one. They've just done one because you know they're in the the Bond movie, No Time to Die. There's a there's a No Time to Die edition of the Defender with the V8 and. So it's, and I, I, it's really naff, but I kind of wanted one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like 130 grand or something. I'm obviously not going to buy one. But I uh, I did look at it and think that's really naff, but I quite want one. Yeah, it's all blacked yeah, out. Yeah. And it says, double o, it says 007 on a little, little when you open the door and all sorts of stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, like maybe the, the puddle light, right? Yeah, I the puddle it, light. Yeah, yeah, it does on the light. And, yeah. You've got to be British, obviously, to buy one of those. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Because I kind of like it too, yeah. But you're right. I'm not going to spend 130 thousand dollars on. You've got to have the right accent to pull off the whole. I've got a car that says 007 on it. So you guys, uh, you guys took both of them off road, and uh, I, I assume you. I don't know if you just sort of arbitrarily find a place, or do you have a place that you guys typically go to? Where do you do your off road testing? You guys got kind of a regular. Yeah, oh. there's a few pla- There's a few places that we use. One is. Um, we use Hungry Valley, which is not far from LA. That's only like an hour and a half outside the city. This time we went to Calico Ghost Town, which for those who don't know is sort of halfway between LA and Vegas. There's a sort of famous 50s diner, Peggy Sue's out there, and I think California's biggest service station, bizarrely. Hmm. Um, and there's a there's a path. You just basically turn off the highway and up you go into the mountains. And people go at the weekend and shoot stuff. So there's always loads of like cartridge cases hanging around, but it's yeah. a, it's an amazing part of the world, um, and you can just go and have a have a play, and it was it was wonderful. I mean, it was it was work obviously, but it didn't feel like work. It was a great day out. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, how how did they? I mean, I guess the two questions, right? How do they ride on road versus each other, and how do they ride off road versus each other? So on road, the Defender is the choice. I mean, if you were going to road trip these cars, you'd want the Defender. If you were going to, uh, you're still there, Matt. Oh, lost you momentarily. Yep, you're back. Yeah. Uh, if you um, if you're going to road trip it, the Defender is just more comfortable, more refined. Um, you know, less less noise, that kind of thing. But the Bronco is absolutely fine to uh, uh, as as a drive. You know, on the on the road. Um, and then off road, it's it's sort of a similar story. I mean, the, the difference is the, the Defender we had is air suspension. So what it tends to right. do is you jack the air suspension up and it kind of lifts up its skirt and, and off it goes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bronco is more mechanical and passive in approach. Uh, but both are immensely capable. I mean, both have got, even the trim we had, have got, you know, obviously high and low ratio gearboxes, the Defender has a center diff. It's got, um, 
it's got all sorts of terrain response systems so you can set it up for driving on sand for mud and ruts and you know everybody's playing this game now and the Bronco also has something that's a, a bit unusual. It has like a one-pedal driving mode, which is not not dissimilar to what you get in an EV. The idea being that when yeah. you lift off the throttle, it actually effectively breaks the vehicle. And in theory, this allows you more control. Honestly, I found it quite difficult. I found it like it was quite hard to get my head around. And I think you just need time with it to yeah. kind of recalibrate to how it... A bit like the first time you drive an EV and you lift off and you kind of suddenly realize that you've, you've slowed down a lot more than you expected. And Yeah, I felt the so, same way driving the, the Mach-E the first time with the one-pedal feature turned on. I was like, it's a little weird, but you do have to focus for a second. You have to kind of think about like what's going on with the car. Yeah, then your brain recalibrates and you're probably okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, for, for any sort of hobbyist, these things are fantastic off-road. And then I think, you know, obviously the aftermarket will kick in as it does for, for Wrangler. It'd be interesting to see as time goes on how many people start really modding, modifying the the defenders. I think there'll be an enormous aftermarket for for Bronco, and I think Ford actually set the vehicle up to facilitate that. If you look at how many auxiliary ports there are and that kind of thing, I think they're you know they're up for embracing that defender. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves and how many you know how many tricked up defenders you start to see. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't imagine going to Moab and seeing, you know, 50 defenders lined up against 50, 50 modded Wranglers and, and Broncos. Yeah, no, that would be cool to see, though. <laughs> It'd be super cool I'll, to I'll see. Go. You know, I, I I agree with you. I think Bronco was set up from the get-go to be highly modified. I, I kind of like the idea of Ford embracing the aftermarket, but not to mention, you know, also embracing the Ford Performance catalog and what you can get as dealer accessories. It's you know, it's a great business model for the dealers and what Ford is doing uh, with the vehicle. But I think uh, the aftermarket's really going to get a hold of this thing and have some fun with it. We were kind of thinking Broncos were going to be everywhere at SEMA this year, and there will be quite a few. But as you pointed out, you're still waiting for yours. And several companies that I, I talked to said that they've had some difficulty getting the Broncos uh, that they needed for R&D for developing parts. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be quite a few Broncos. I think people got pretty creative on how they were able to source Broncos, um, meaning just, you know, the aftermarket companies that bought them for R&D. Instead, they're just reaching out to every customer out there that they have that might have gotten one before them and saying, hey, you know, can we borrow it? Can we use it? What can we do? Let's work out a deal and try to get them out there. But pretty, pretty wild. Uh, I don't know where Chris ran off to, but all my screens in here are going wacky and turning blue. And and uh, it looks like they're not really rebooting, but... Uh, I can still hear you, Matt, and I can yeah. still see you. For, for a moment, it went with one of those kind of, uh, what do you call it, like multicolored bar yeah. Yeah, 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 things. Yeah. Well, but, but you're there back. you go. I, it's back. Chris I, got can it. see your handsome, I can see your handsome face, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, are you, are you going to try to make it to SEMA? That was the thing we've been talking about, your, uh, your first SEMA. Oh, I've been to SEMA before. I even had dinner with you. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's just that dinner with me is so memorable. <laughs> Uh, your first pandemic SEMA. Um, yeah, try to, try to come out. I think SEMA, you know, as we talked about, they're doing things a little differently this year. And um, there's a limited amount of tickets that will be sold to the public for Friday. So before they did the SEMA Ignited, which is they fire up all the cool cars in the convention center. They do a parade. They bring them outside. They do this car show. You can buy tickets to that. But I think there's going to be uh, – yeah, there's tickets available to go into the event and see the booths and the new parts and talk to a few people. I don't know uh, how many tickets they're selling. Um, I'm sure SEMAshow.com is probably where you figure it out on how to get it or what's been sold out. But, you know, I'll be out there and uh, it'll be it'll, – you know, it'll be fun – to uh, see the new version of of the SEMA show. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you get to make it out there as well. Yeah, I hope so. I know I, I was certainly my intention to come and now something's kept me in LA on the uh, on the first day, the main sort of what we tend to call the press day, but uh, maybe I'll make it out on the Friday. I'd love to come. I always just find it fast. I mean, leaving aside like the professional bit for me, if, you know, seeking out new ideas and meeting people. It's just a great show to go and walk around and see where the industry's at. And and then, of course, it's only a couple of weeks and we're into the LA Auto Show as well. So 
you know, it is nice that, you know, I think it's going to be different. I'm sure like people wearing masks and all sorts of things, but yeah. uh, at least, you know, we do feel like these things are starting to come back onto, onto the agenda and they're happening again, because let's face it, there was a, there was a time when we were wondering whether we'd ever have a, an auto show again, but you know, LA's, LA, I think is definitely on at this point. I and mean, we said that about New York and it was canceled yeah. with two weeks to go, but I think LA will, will go ahead and obviously SEMA, you know, things are a bit more liberal in Vegas anyway. But, uh, yeah, but I've I've always been like a SEMA show super freak because I I love the aftermarket world and I love all of the the innovation and and performance parts and and all the mods and stuff you do everything for like I'll just I'll just walk around and dig into anything from you know what's the latest and greatest with high performance mods and superchargers and turbos to you know audio systems and technology that definitely things that's going on with technology and how we're you know. It wasn't just sway bars and springs, and now it's you know computer controlling your your suspension and just how things have really sort of evolved. And even on my vehicles, like my my truck, my Lightning, you know, started to bring in a lot of that technology into the truck. You know, not just the audio system with front and rear cameras and CarPlay and and all of that, but uh, you know that suspension that we were developing with with JRI shocks and. Uh, uh, you know, I got them in, and you know, I've got a version of the shocks in where I have to send them back to get finished. Uh, it's it's an adjustable coilover shock with a remote reservoir, but we don't know where the reservoirs are going to be. So the the line between the reservoir and the shock isn't on yet, so there's no fluid in it. Uh, but this is completely, you know, electronically controlled. We've we've developed some presets. Uh, which we'll we'll dial in, we'll fine tune it, but the presets are based on the vehicle, the weight of the vehicle, the front and rear weight of the vehicle, and then on the dash, uh, I have uh, uh, switches up there, and we preset a street mode, a track mode, and a drag race mode. And now on the fly, I can just hit the switch and my suspension all basically adjusts like a modern day, I don't know, anything from a Mustang to a Porsche to whatever. Uh, but bringing that technology into a 95 Ford truck. So, and again, wouldn't be able to do it without going to the aftermarket world and saying, what can we do? What kind of technology you have? What are you doing on other cars? Can we custom make this to work, you know, uh, on a, on a truck like this? And, and that's kind of why I love it. It's just having some, some fun with that stuff. I love also the, the sort of culture. I remember years ago, I went to, there's a, Europe's equivalent is in Essen, uh, in okay. Germany. Uh, and you get it's just near the, the sort of Belgian border, and there you get a very different. So you get that real sort of high end German tuning scene. So people like yeah. Brabus and Lorenzer, and you know, start to, all those all those really high end, super expensive German tuning of Mercedes and Porsche and everything else. You know, it, I and, like that stuff, and that stuff's cool. But what I think it lacks is the DIY aspect. Is you know. If you're doing Brabus or Lawrence or packages or or things like that uh, on those vehicles, most of the time you're you're just you're writing a check and getting it done, right? Or you're just paying for the package. Where so much of of what's at SEMA is things that you can do to your vehicle, and a lot of people here do that. I, and you're right. It's I, a sort of more of a hobbyist. It's more of a hobbyist scene. Yeah, and I think that's. I, I think that's. I think that's cool. And I think the. Um, I was blown away the first time I went just by the scale of it because yeah. you know you think about. I mean, the German show is big because there's a lot of money in that in Brabus and people like that yeah. Tech Art and Co. But actually, when you get into to to Vegas and partly it's Vegas and everything else, mm-hmm. the halls are huge mm-hmm. and it's just. I was just blown away about how big it is and how expensive it is and how much money there is flying around on this stuff and yeah i thought it was i thought it was fascinating also just the breadth so everything from electronics to roof tents to right you know whatever whatever you like yeah. and yeah. yeah well and as much as i love the diy aspect of it that's probably why none of my cars are finished because <laughs> it's kind of on me to, to get to get that done which is why they've been sitting for years uh I have a few other questions, some, some other more new vehicles that have been coming out, and I think you guys have been starting to get your hands on them. But uh, let me tell you guys about Geico. Whether you own your home or rent your home, we know it can be quite a bit of hard work. But you know it's easy. It's bundling your policies with Geico. 
Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And we know that's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home already. So just go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. Trucks come out. We've got Maverick on one end, on the little end, and we've got new Tundra on on the big end. Uh, They seem to be uh, both... Leaps and bounds forward, maybe more innovative with the with with the Maverick than maybe the Tundra. Maybe you can tell me about that. But look, I was just uh, uh, I was just visiting uh, some family and and caught up with um, uh, a, a cousin of mine, and he was like, you know, you know, I'm retired. I live in New Mexico. I've got a little you know 16 foot Airstream. And, uh, you know, I can't really tow it with my, my Subaru. And he goes, but I just wanted something that I can drive and be able to tow this thing a couple times a year. And he said, I ordered a Maverick. He goes, I ordered the Maverick and I uh, got the all-wheel drive, got the big engine, got pretty much all the options. And he was still into it for 36000 bucks. and uh, just able to get it. And he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And I, I forgot what the tow capacity is, something like 4000 uh, tow capacity. This little trailer is probably three thousand. So, you know, and they're not going very far with it, just around New Mexico. So maybe it seemed like a a good little uh, package for them. But he loved what they were what they were pitching him on Maverick. Yeah, I think that's something. I mean, there's obviously the Maverick, and then also the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which looks really cool. Yeah, um, and we've driven them both now. And we're getting them. Not surprising, we'll be getting them both together as well. The interesting thing about the Maverick is you think of it today as like a really small, cheap truck. And then I had a guy, a handyman, come to my house to fix something because I'm hopeless at DIY. <laughs> and he turned up in like a 20-year-old Nissan Frontier. Yeah. And I took one look. It's like, that's the Maverick. You know, everything. Yeah. If you think about how big a Ranger's got or even a Tacoma, they're big trucks. Yeah. And actually, the Maverick is basically where a midsize was. 15 20 years ago oh, look my f-150 my lightning is probably the size of a ranger today yeah that probably might. yeah exactly <laughs> uh, and, and so all we've done is kind of introduce the cheeseburger alongside the quarter pounder and the uh, double double whatever yeah so so it, and you know the big thing we've been getting into is is it a real truck so as you say what's the towing capacity what's the towing capacity like and how does it tow how was the payload there's a film on our youtube channel about this and the santa cruz at the moment in fact several several films and we came away pretty pretty impressed by it it's it's a it's a nice little thing it's pretty versatile there's not a huge amount of space inside obviously mm-hmm. um but it's you know they're not selling they keep saying it's twenty two thousand starting it's they're not selling that the it's a classic ruse they're not you can't actually buy the entry-level one at the moment it's a bit like tesla so actually you know you you're um you're paying a little bit more but as you say even for a, a really nicely spec one you're only into the 30s so, you know, it does seem like it's it's good value. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, we're fans. We haven't, I haven't personally driven it yet. I've had a good look at the Santa Cruz, um, but we are, I think this week, actually, we're getting one in. So tell us about the Santa Cruz, because I feel like Maverick has been getting all the press in the in the small truck wars. And, and yeah, everybody mentions Santa Cruz, but then that's it. That's It, it dies off after the mention. <laughs> I tell you what, we, we've, yeah, we've had, I mean, we've, We've obviously driven them both quite a bit. We've got had the Santa Cruz in. I've had a good look at the Santa Cruz myself, and it gets a lot of attention because it looks cool. I mean, it looks a lot more funky than the the Maverick. Yeah, and I think the fact that the Maverick's just got more attention is probably just Ford scale and 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 muscle, uh, you know, marketing muscle. But I think the Santa Cruz has got a, a real opportunity because I think it will just work. Both of these trucks just broaden the appeal of a. Uh, of a truck i mean i was even thinking myself you know i live in la and i've got a fairly small garage so you know i can't park an f-150 in the garage i don't even park a ranger in the garage but i might get a maverick in there yeah and then you're starting this could be quite a fun little family tool and so yeah i think the two are going to go head to head there's nothing else immediately on the horizon so it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting might be interesting to see how well they do what kind of numbers they shift well what's interesting to me is the one thing that i think i think maybe the car companies flubbed this a while ago and now they're back on track ford has figured out even with a small truck it has to look like a truck you can't give us an explorer sport track right like it has to look like a truck if you're going to sell a ford truck 
Hyundai with their with their with their Santa Cruz is saying we don't really have a truck reputation, so we can come up with something that's funky and unique and is functional, but it's probably better if it doesn't look like a traditional truck because then it'll feel too much like we're competing with the brands that do it so well. So why not come up with something that's kind of cool looking and is kind of functional? And, you know, like uh, to some extent, you know, that was Honda took a stab at that, right? With Ridgeline. Yeah. You know, successfully. And, uh, and yeah, and they're on, I don't know how many versions of Ridgeline, maybe three now or, or something like that. But, uh, and they did, they did well. And by the way, that's a very comfortable vehicle to drive. It's, you know, it, it's actually you, you get in it you just feel like you're in a i don't know a honda pilot or something you know in the interior the ergonomics of it uh, so i think hyundai has the potential for something pretty unique here yeah i think so i think the you know the honda's a the honda's a fine example of actually just going down a different route and you know we we sometimes get criticized for liking it but it's like well actually for most people, this is probably all they need. It's competent off-road, but it's not you know, It's not going out into the boulders, but then how many people actually do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're working around town, I don't know if you're a florist or you're handling electronics or something like that, and you want to turn up looking a bit, you know, you want to turn up looking smart and you don't need something massive and everything else. And yeah, I can, I can absolutely see the appeal of these things. So and, I think Hyundai has a little bit of a chance to get some of that market. I think they can compete. For sure. And, and, you know, again, the pricing is sensible and, you know, there'll be great lease rates and that kind of thing. So, right. yeah, I think it's nice that the market's diversified again because everything was just getting crazy big as well. Talking of which, the, the Tundra. The Tundra. I think the, um, yeah. the Tundra's grill is about as big as a Maverick. <laughs> right? It looks that way. Yeah, it looked like uh, uh, for a second there, I was like, oh, somebody was talking to the BMW designers when they started talk, when they started doing Tundra. Let's talk about Tundra. So this is this is a bigger truck, massive grill. And yes, this is Toyota competing with, you know, with Ram and F one fifty, you know, uh, and Silverado, which we we kind of, you know, we, we kind of lost <laughs> for a while. It seemed like we haven't been talking about Silverado for quite some time. I think they kind of missed the mark on a few things. Although now they're talking about the electric Silverado that'll be coming out. They're about to refresh the Silverado as well, so I think they're going to try and put right some of the some of the criticisms. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I think they're they're definitely due for it. But what about Tundra? So Tundra, as you say, is is bang on. It's not trying to be something different. This is a F, straight F one fifty Silverado Sierra etc. rival, and you know the old Tundra still had some appeal in some quarters, but was like you know older older than the hills, as the, the cliche goes. Um, this one is is more um, is, is much more modern. It's it's a whole it's an entirely new truck, independent rear suspension, massive screen inside. So what they've basically done is taken the F one fifty and say, right, how can we you know how can we do our own version of this and hopefully better it in some ways and you know give our own twist here and there. And we've only driven it on on the initial event. Although I am it's a shame we're recording this Monday, not Wednesday as usual because I'm actually about to leave here and go down the test track and have a have a look at it right okay but, so um we've actually got one got one in today and i think for, first impressions have been pretty good um you know you don't get the choice that you do with the, that you get with the ford so you've only got right. one one v6 or one hybrid and the hybrid doesn't arrive till next year so you haven't got that breadth of options but i think if it works for you then there's a you know if, if the options line up against what you need then there's a you know it's a it's a capable thing and a big step forward over over its predecessor if if you had a guess because i i doubt you have the numbers in front of you how many tundras get sold versus ford or ram right ford is almost a million f-150s year maybe 900 something thousand ram and silverado they're all very close maybe a hundred thousand less and then a hundred thousand less, you know, maybe eight hundred and seven hundred. Does does Tundra come in at five or six hundred or are they four hundred? I'm just curious if you know. Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. No, I mean it doesn't doesn't match those figures. I haven't got it I haven't got it in front of me. Yeah. Um but uh no I mean it's hard to get past the the big three. And then I guess the Sierra, I mean, obviously the GM, GMC Sierra, often those numbers get lumped in with the Silverado because they're, you know, ostensibly the same thing. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, over here, it's hard to get past. It's hard to get past the big three, and I guess that's what Toyota's trying to muscle in on with a with the new truck with the massive grill. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering in the future whether you know. I know obviously EV grills are a, a different sort of thing altogether, but it does seem to be getting crazy. Everything just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and maybe it's a bit like watches. We'll all we'll all end up going into smaller watches again just because we can't keep getting bigger. Right, right, because it can't go bigger. Also, which is interesting is because the car companies, uh, the car companies seem to take. This is kind of odd to hear. The, the car companies seem to take aerodynamics into consideration, which before it was more of a pen to paper sort of guess on aerodynamics. But the idea of, you know, Ford Mustangs and Chevy Camaros being aero tested before they come out and you, and you, you, when you talk to the engineers and you're doing the press events and they say things like, Oh, the, you know, the, the high performance package has 11% more downforce and, and, you know, it, it, you would never have that conversation with these cars back in the day. And although these trucks seem to be massive, you you have to kind of think like there probably is some testing. They're saying, yes, we have a big grill and a lot of air flowing through. But from there, how it goes over the truck or around the truck or the mirrors, you know, is more efficient than the truck from, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, you know, even though we have the massive grill, it's just a lot more thought into stuff like that. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a giant brick wall driving down the street. It's just uh, there's a little bit more thought into how it functions and where the air flows through. Uh, I don't know if that's true for all of the the, the truck companies, but it it has been some thought – when you start to get into the high performance variants of, of things like, like our muscle cars, you know? Yeah, I think that's undeniably true. And, I, you know, fuel consumption is an interesting, and particularly, you know, in the big truck world, if you're doing big miles, then it becomes a, a significant factor. And going back to the Bronco and Defender, we were both blown away by Carlos and I did the film. We, how bad the fuel com- consumption was. I mean, you're looking yeah. at T, you're not going to better the teens in either a Defender or a Bronco. And that's partly aero, it's partly rolling resistance for the tires, but it's also, you know, just the way that they're, the way that they're set up and, and yeah. they're, they're pretty abysmal and, you know, Ford with some of the EcoBoost engines and everything else, they're not necessarily returning the figures that you would expect from the, from the EPA rating. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big consideration and, you know, I think sometimes we're guilty. I don't mean we, we Edmonds, I mean like the press generally is guilty of overlooking some of this stuff because you're going to do 20,000 miles a year in a truck, whether it does, you know, 15 or 18 MPG is, is a big deal. Yeah, it is going to start to make a difference. I forgot what I was driving. Um, man, uh, it'll, it'll come to me. But I was driving something and I kept looking down at the uh, at the Monroney, at the window sticker laying on the passenger seat and going, 24 miles per gallon is the average estimate. I was like, I'm not even getting close to that. And I'm not driving it crazy. Like, I'm trying to figure out why... I'm getting 17. Like I forgot. Yeah, it'll come to me. I've got forgot what I was driving. I was like, man, this is this is off. You know, and, and and it wasn't something that blows your mind, like you're saying, like you know, like Defender or Bronco. I think I was in. I think I was driving the the big Volkswagen SUV, uh, not the Tiguan. Maybe. No, maybe it was not the TIG one. I think the I Atlas. did better in the TIG. I think I was driving the Atlas, and I was just like, "This thing's just not getting the numbers that it was supposed to be getting." You know, uh, I don't know. I've also, Matt, while you were, um, I've quietly, I quietly did a did a Google on Tundra figures. Um, twenty twenty or twenty nineteen is probably more represented. Hundred and so they did a hundred and eleven, hundred and twelve thousand in twenty nineteen, and hundred and ten thousand last year. So yeah, it's way. It's a, it's, it's, it is it's way a down. tenth almost. Yeah. yeah, it's a tenth almost of F one fifty. It's that's. I'm actually surprised that it's that low. I mean, I get it. There's money to be made with those types of volumes. I want to say something like Ford Mustang is probably like a hundred and fifty thousand cars or something that they they sell. And I, I yeah, don't know. Challenger is so, probably like one sixty. Maybe Mustang's one thirty. 
So F just yeah, just for comparison, twenty nineteen, obviously last year was a bit of a weird year. Twenty nineteen Ford sold just basically nine hundred thousand F one fifties. Yeah. Eight hundred even last year they sold eight hundred thousand. Right. Now the numbers for this year are gonna be way wacky because of chip shortages and supply chain and everything else like that. But the other impressive factor is gonna be the adoption rate for EV for things like this, like how many, you know, if you're, it's going to be interesting because if you're Tesla, you build an EV. If you're Rivian, you build an EV. If you're Ford, you build a gas engine truck like an F-150. But now they have orders of 150,000. Let's say 50,000 of those kind of fall off, right? Because it's an inexpensive a uh, hundred thousand on nine hundred thousand in sales or eight hundred thousand in sales, more than ten percent of their entire sales would that would be massive because we're talking about cars, other makes and models of cars that sell eighty, ninety thousand, a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand, then that's a successful year. Tundra sells a hundred and something thousand, and that's successful. Right out the gate, F one fifty could lightning could could beat Tundra sales. Just the lightning could beat all of Tundra sales. That's a big yeah, number. It is. And, you know, I was talking to Ford's, uh, one of Ford's EV bosses about this, um, a guy called Darren Palmer, who's a great mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, he's been on the show. Yeah, he's a really, really nice guy. And he was, um, you know, one of the things that they were looking at is, you know, Ford has got scale and scale brings buying power. Yeah. And, you know, if you compare that to a, to a Rivian or even a Tesla, then actually, you know, Ford can, can leverage all its suppliers. And if you can build 100,000 of these, then you're going to get significant economies of scale. And that's why uh, that's part of the reason why they're able to offer it at such a competitive price that, you know, shocked us all. So, yeah, if they I mean, if they start doing 100,000 a year of the lightning, that's going to be a, a really big deal. And that's only going in one direction. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Hear from our friends at Rock Auto. RockAuto.com. Why spend 30 to 50%, even 100% more for the same parts that a chain store or dealership might have? Why spend so much there? Why not go to RockAuto.com? It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Everything from engine control modules to brakes to motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few clicks delivered direct to your door. Go to rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or your truck. Write CarCast in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. An amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So before we wrap up, uh, there was a couple of other things that came up that uh, you and I were just kind of texting about. Um, I, I don't know why. I've just I've said this before. I've been so out of the loop with, with Mercedes recently. We haven't really had any of their press cars in quite some time. Um, uh, you know, but still a fan, you know, I was just pointing it out. I just got into my parking garage and somebody fired up their C63 AMG. And, you know, I was like, man, that car sounds good, especially in the garage here. And, uh, you know, but the push for for the EV stuff, what's going on with them? I think EQS, is that their their newest it is, and we, we're actually part of the reason why I'm driving the Tundra today. We're in the process of judging our Edmunds Top Rated Awards, and that will come out in December. Um, and EQS is right in there for Luxury EV of the Year. It's Mercedes's first kind of kitchen sink EV, by which I mean it's their it, – well, certainly it's sold in the U.S., the first one to be fully uh, configured and engineered and designed as an EV. So not only did the new do the new S-Class, which is a massive investment, they also did the EQS, which is – almost a rival to itself. And, you know, first impressions are we drove it in Germany. We're about to drive it here is that it's a, it's a really impressive thing, you know, beautiful interiors as I expect from Mercedes, mm-hmm. big range. They're not trying to do a Tesla and go for, you know, I mean, they'll have a super fast version or probably an AMG to come, but you know, that's not the same, but it will be super quick. But what they're trying to do is a, a proper Mercedes luxury sedan 
in EV form. And uh, I'm going to be driving it in about a, an hour's time and really looking forward to it. So this, I mean, I assume it's going to be expensive, but when you start to get into sort of range and luxury bits and uh, and whatnot, I, I, Lucid seems to be the competitor for that, right? Like Lucid came out with some pretty lofty range numbers, uh, you know, also some pretty lofty price tags. Yeah, we actually went down, uh, not me personally, but a member of the team went down to uh, to the Lucid factory last, uh, I think it's in Texas, last uh, last week and saw the early cars come off the production line and actually had 15 minutes. It reminded me of the Model S launch that I went on about 12 years ago <laughs> where we saw the uh, the Google execs get given their cars and then we had 10 minutes in it. And it's a similar thing. And and, and Reese on my team, Reese um, came back and said, you know that it that it overall it was it was impressive it was better than a model s was when it was first launched mm-hmm. but i think the difference for for lucid is they haven't got that first mover advantage that you know mercedes is in the game yeah. tesla's in the game bmw is in the game so you know you're, you're you're launching into a different market where people aren't going to be as forgiving as think you know of of little foibles here and there they've got to get it right and and that's a that's a lot of pressure but yeah it looks cool there's some interesting tech and uh yeah yeah i was just playing with the configurator a couple of days ago so it'll be interesting to see how how mercedes does it and i think you're right i think out of the gate mercedes should focus on personally i think they should just focus on the range and luxury and performance will come uh, if if they can nail that, because that's kind of what they've been able to do for for some time now. Yeah, I mean the performance bits, you know, relatively easy to do once you've nailed everything else, and you know they, they can do an AMG version and what have you. So, yeah. yeah, I mean concentrate on the the beautiful interiors, and you know this is the start of a really big push from Mercedes. We'll have the EQE coming. You know, it's all uh, the EQB, which is you know a big fan of the the GLB. That's electric version of that. So. You know, you could argue Mercedes a little bit later than you might have expected to the game, but you know they are they are coming in a in a, uh, in, a in a quick way with a lot of with a lot of product over the next couple of years. And then I mean, Mercedes has an SUV that was your guys's number one SUV, right? You guys, I think uh, the GLE, yeah. the GLE was your top ranked uh, SUV, you know, among its, right. its competitors. So it's good. It's interesting. Um, I'm also. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, Corvette Z06. Isn't that coming soon? I think this week we're seeing 20s, an announcement. 26th, 26th is the official announcement. Okay. I think we're going to go and have a look at it. Um, yeah, it looks, I mean, obviously seen the pictures. Uh, I have the um, the standard C8 Singray in my, in my garage at the moment. Still trying to get a windscreen for it after the windscreen's been broken for like, I don't know, months, literally months. And they sent one and that was broken when it arrived. Oh. So we've been driving around with a broken windscreen for months, but apparently it's been fixed today. So hugely exciting news, but I mean, ridiculous it's taken so long. Uh, but yeah, the Z06 is, I think, going to be really exciting. And, you know, I'm going to have a look at it next uh, 26th, I think. And and so, uh, you know, maybe next time I come on, we can talk about that. I, I think it's going to be good. I know the aftermarket's been doing a lot of crazy things from twin turbos to supercharging and all sorts of mods for it. And uh, the cars just continue to perform uh really well with all of that stuff so you know the idea of the factory built version the z06 being the high winding you know flat plane crank you know uh, naturally aspirated version i would expect at some point a a a monster version you know like a supercharged or turbocharged version zr1 so we have the base version the hot naturally aspirated version and then the hot you know boosted version of it but uh, you know, kind of the benchmark that they've set with a really, really good C8 now uh, kind of gets you excited for what a Z06 could potentially be. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest, this is the first time we've had our car for a year as part of our long-term test fleet. I forget when we bought it yet. It's been a good few months now. We had a very early car, and, um, and it's I've actually spent the last couple of weeks with it. It's the first time I've actually had a prolonged period of time so one of the challenges of my job i jump into so many different cars that you don't you don't get to spend much time with with each one and just running around in it using it as an everyday car it's terrific the more time it's one of those unusual cars that the more time i'm spending it the more i like it just the level of refinement the ride comfort mm-hmm. you know just all those little things that actually make a difference the, the practicality that you've still got a big trunk at the back a decent trunk at the front they can take the roof off and it becomes a targa uh you know the fact that they, the infotainment works so well 
there's just so much that I like about that vehicle. Yeah. What does it come in as price wise? You guys, is, you, you came in about 85. You configured yours at about 85. Yeah, we kind of think that's the sweet spot. So I know they start in the early 60s, but then by the time you put the sport pack on and the seats and everything else, yeah. you get into the, the low 80s. And we really think that we kind of nailed it. Maybe the red red, the red seat belts, which was my personal touch, was maybe maybe a bit of an indulgence. But beyond <laughs> that, the um, it photographs better. But beyond that, the rest of it was was pretty much what we would have, you know, what I would have specified if I was if I was buying the car. And you know, the Z06 will be interesting. Obviously, I think it's going to sound incredible. Yeah, with the flat plane crank, and you know, but really, I mean, the standard car is is you know four four fifty horsepower. I mean, it's it's plenty. Yeah. And of course, it still sounds great. I mean, you know, it's a naturally aspirated V8 of which there are almost none left. Yeah, there's another one in my in my parking garage as well in my in my apartment. Uh, but he's got the red, but it doesn't have the bright red. He's got kind of the maroon, the darker metallic, and that's the right one. Uh, that that color on that car looked really good. We saw the bright red one running around. I was just like, I don't know about that. Yeah, we've got ours is uh, I forget what it's called, but it's a very kind of bright blue, almost uh, almost yeah. like a cyan blue. And I don't know if you've seen our car out yet, but uh, it's it's a bit much to be honest. And I think there's a lot of going there's a lot going on with the styling. And if mm-hmm. you go for a car that's a bit car kind of car, color that's a bit cartoonish, it, I, th- I think it detracts from it. I think if you go for a darker color, more metallic, it sort of so, you know it sort of just takes the edge off it a bit and I think ends up looking a bit more sophisticated. Yeah. Well, it's a cool car. I I still haven't driven the C8 yet. I'm not sure why, but uh, it just hasn't worked out. I put in a request for one and uh, haven't been able to to do it yet. And I'm just sure because everybody's trying to get their hands on it. And then always these end of the year awards kind of things. They suck up all the press fleets. (laughs) You guys. Let us us fix the windscreen and then you're you're welcome to come and have a go. I would would love that. That would be fantastic. All right, guys, let's uh, let's wrap things up. Is there anything we're missing? You got some films? You got some some good content coming up soon? Yeah, I mean, there's there's just tons of stuff that's been uh, been live. Obviously, we talked about Tundra, the Bronco uh, Defender film just went live. Um, so check out, yeah, check out the YouTube channel for all the latest films. Um, obviously Edmunds.com for the main website. We've run cars for me. I'd like to get my plug in Edmunds cars now on Instagram. So yeah, lots of, lots of stuff coming really, really busy end of the year. Okay. So, uh, you're still Alistair Weaver on Twitter and you're still Weaver on cars on Instagram. And that's now, right. Yeah. And then there's oh, Hummer. we haven't even, we haven't even talked about the Hummer, Matt. Yeah. We drove the Hummer as well. So, uh, yeah. Oh, you did talk on. about the Hummer. All right. We're going to have to come back on, on that because that seems kind of cool too. It seems fun. It seems a little gimmicky and expensive, but, uh, it, but I do want to get into that more. And I think, uh, we're going to have to save that one for when Goldberg's back. Cause I know he's going to be interested in hearing that. So, uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, the website is edmunds.com. You can uh, catch up uh, with these guys on the latest and greatest at edmunds.com slash road noise. That's the uh, – it's kind of uh, the kind of the, the latest and greatest uh, videos and testing and things that are going up there as well. So check it all out. Uh, Alistair, man, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming back on, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon. Good luck at the track today. Thank you. Hopefully see you in SEMA. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks, guys. Until next time, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.